Today on the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, we step out of the data center, away from the hot aisle, take out our spectrum analyzers, shoo away the pigeons, and discuss outdoor wireless. Specifically, we're going to go after wireless backhaul with our sponsor, Cambium Networks. Haven't heard of Cambium? Well, hey, that just goes to show you that there's lots of room in the Wi-Fi space for many interesting products. It's not all about Cisco Ruckus and Aruba, you know. I am Ethan Banks, and with me is Greg Farrow. And let's introduce our guest from Cambium. Uh, joining us first up is Sakid Ahmed. Sakid, would you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience? I am Sakid Ahmed. I am the Director of Engineering at Cambium Networks. Very good. So uh, I was looking at your title, Senior Director of Engineering, which means if it works great, it's your fault. And if it doesn't work great, it's your fault too? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Also joining us, Dimitri Moisev, uh, Systems Engineer. Dimitri, would you introduce yourself? Thank you, Ethan. As you told, my name is Dmitry Moisev, and I'm System Engineer working for Cambium. And Alex Marcham. Hi, I'm Alex Marcham, uh, Systems Engineer here at Cambium, similar to Dimitri. Very good. All right, guys. So we met earlier, and we're talking about uh, what Cambium is and uh, what you guys do. So, Saki, let's start with you. Why don't you uh, give us some background? Who is Cambium exactly? I had not heard about you guys until you uh, showed up wanting to uh, talk to us. Right, right. Sure, Ethan. Thank you. So Cambium Networks is a company specializing in wireless broadband products. And with wireless broadband, specifically fixed wireless broadband, our core value proposition is essentially to connect the unconnected or offer solutions in the marketplace that allows people to connect backhaul systems, Wi-Fi systems, buildings, video cameras, whatnot. Uh, we've been around for a while now. Uh, our heritage or history started with the uh, Motorola Solutions, a uh, much bigger company that uh, did many things across point-to-point uh, -point systems, point-to-multipoint, and then two-way radios, for that matter, and cellular networks. Cambium Networks came out of Motorola Solution, is now an independent company with a very razor-sharp focus on creating products that work in the outdoor wireless spectrum, specifically an unlicensed 5 gigahertz, 2.4 gigahertz that is available to us uh, pretty much all around the world. And we build products that uh, span from your 100 meter links to 240 kilometers uh, ranges. And uh, that's what we do at Cambium Networks. So you said a few things there. And one of the things you were mentioning was you connect to the unconnected. So in other words, I'm rural or I just don't have infrastructure built out to my physical location. So this is a product that gets me connected? That's correct, Ethan. That's correct. Uh, so the scenario to think about there is that uh, you're rural, or let's say you're not rural. Let's say you happen to have a home or residence where you have a shed or a tool shed or a garage that you want to put a camera and monitor security. And you want to have access to that from the main house chances are you're not going to run uh, Cat5 cable across to the link, or you might, but a simple wireless bridge that you connect from the main house to your tool shed or your garage or your boathouse, for that matter, um, is a great way to connect the unconnected. Now, if you take it back to where we started, uh, that is all about rural connectivity. So you're in the middle of nowhere where the big telcos are not interested in catering to you by putting up a base station and covering a wide geographic area. We enable entrepreneurial-minded operators to put up our equipment on a water tower or a grain elevator or on top of a building, and within a 60-degree or 90-degree sector, now you can support and connect 200, 300 houses 
or offices and whatnot and provide them broadband. So the idea is you've got a, uh, a high point, you put up your radio and then me as a, as a WISP, would that be the right term, wireless internet service provider? Yes, a WISP would be a wireless internet service provider, and that is exactly the scenario. Uh, I can aim that signal, pick up a whole bunch of different residences, and then those residences are also running a Cambium radio uh, talking back? That's exactly the scenario, yes. I mean, it sounds like this would be an inexpensive solution or expensive solution, or does it kind of depend on where you're landing this thing? Very good point. So, you know, the reality is uh, we, as the consumer, and you guys know this more than anybody, I mean, we're, we're, we're wanting more and more bandwidth across all arenas, um, and we want it cheaper and cheaper. So price is a big factor. So the product that I'm talking about today, this EPMP product line, is meant to be a inexpensive, cost-effective solution. Uh, by no means cheap, uh, but definitely cost-effective. Um, it gets you that connectivity, and if you, for a lack of a better term, ROI for your business, very quickly, uh, because it is a cost-effective solution. So I just want to ask a couple of questions about this this EPMP product. So you've got a couple of different products in your product line, which are point-to-point and point-to-multipoint. So so one of the things that I did about 10 years ago was I was connecting two warehouses. One was a warehouse. It was about 500 meters down the road, and the office building was up the top of the hill, and I needed to get a, a Yagi 26 dB directional antenna, which cost a fortune, and point it to the one down the other end and mount it on the outside of the building. And I was using enterprise wireless because in those days there was only you know one type of Right. wireless thing right and i was only doing point to point and really i don't need magic when i'm just doing point to point i just need to point the two antennas and plug in a wired to wireless transceiver almost now that's your p2p product range that's correct and then i'm looking at the epmp product and it's actually there's two pieces there's actually like a a thing that looks a bit like a television remote control and it actually plugs into a, an antenna you actually have antennas where it just literally clips in am i right Right. So maybe maybe I take a, a two minutes, yeah. Greg, and give a product overview because that may help the audience mm-hmm. here to uh, understand uh, this, the deployment scenarios. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're correct. Uh, there is what you call a base station or an access point or a backhaul uh, master, and that can connect into an antenna that is potentially a sector antenna that is 90 degree wide or maybe mm-hmm. a high gain dish antenna that's 8 degree wide. That's right. up to 25 dBi. So you have that option to connect that. Um, and then you also have products where you don't have to connect to an external dish or an antenna. The right. antenna is integrated. So the one that you refer to almost looking like a television remote, there is a patch antenna inside it. You know, With that integrated unit, two to three kilometer, slam dunk. You just connect the two ends. You don't have to plug in a third-party antenna or external antenna. You just take those up and point to each other. And you've got yep. yourself a link. Did you say two to three kilometer? Right. You're getting that much distance without an external antenna between those yeah, two? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, you know, the distance in this case, in this wireless business, it's all about link budget, right? So your transmit power antenna gains play a big uh, role in this. And the other area that is probably as critical is the level of noise and interference that's present in the air. That will influence how good of a link you get over those distances. Other things competing in the spectrum, the you know, causing right. noise and interference, and then yeah. line of sight. Like if I'm trying to blast that signal through trees, it's going to be compromised and attenuated That's somewhat as compared to correct. straight line That's of sight. Correct. That's correct. But here's a very interesting topic we should touch on, which is 
there are other things in the air, no ifs and buts about it. This EPMP product that we're talking about, uh, it has to be better than the other things. There's got to be an angle, and there is. So fundamentally, the EPMP product, it is cost-effective because we are leveraging your 802.11 and chipsets, which because of economies of scale, it's in every laptop, every phone, and we took these uh, system on a chip and built an outdoor wireless product. But in the process of doing that, the things that we rely on on the Wi-Fi stuff that comes by default on the chip, uh, such as contention, backing off, CSMA essentially, right? All of that has been ripped apart out of the EPMP solution. And we added our own proprietary Mac and a scheduler that now makes it a more deterministic solution. So when you put up that EPMP link over that three-kilometer link and there's other Wi-Fi interference, a traditional Wi-Fi system that, Greg, you mentioned you did a bunch of years ago, if more radios popped up around you, it would cause your system to keep backing down, looking for the clean opportunity to transmit the next time. Mm. We built a system that will transmit all the time. It's what we call a deterministic system. So from an interference perspective, there's a whole bunch of other technical attributes where we are monitoring the interference levels, we're looking at uh, retransmission rates, and all the time we're adapting uh, up and down the modulation levels and things like that to make sure the packets you're trying to send are getting through. So there's a quite a bit of innovation and engineering going into making this uh, 5 gigahertz, 2, 4 gigahertz unlicensed stuff work well in noisy environments. Which goes back to, yes, you're offering it at a low price, but this is not cheap stuff. This is uh, high-end gear that you're actually getting a hold of and then uh, a lot of engineering that's gone into uh, unique signaling to make sure you're getting throughput. Right, and interesting point about that that I'd like to emphasize is the fact that it's still running outdoors. So you've got all the weather issues. You've got temperature, right? Uh, it's not a laptop sitting in your office. It's a radio out on the roof with a housing around it. The so it's a ruggedized being- case designed to be thermally resistant. That's correct. To that's be in correct. the sun and all that sort of stuff. That's right. That's right. And that includes, well, I think the thing for me is that not only am I getting the unit, the electronics, which gives me the wired-to-wireless connectivity and, you know, translation point and also the, the management and the spectrum and the, the silicon in there, which does all the wireless stuff, but you look got a range of what seem to be low-cost antennas in there as well that just is all quite modular. It's quite easy to do this uh, to some extent yourself. You wouldn't need to go and hire an expert for simple point-to-point or reasonably straightforward multi-point connections. That's correct. That's correct. And uh, what you'll find is that there's also an ecosystem that starts getting developed in this space where third-party companies will build accessories to offer their antennas or offer their power supplies to work with our products. So uh, there is quite a bit of an option out there. And yes, you do not need a expert installer to put up a simple point-to-point link, as long as you don't fall off the roof, that is, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a worry, by the way. (laughs) I've climbed to the top of a warehouse. I was about 25 meters off the ground on a standard ladder, and I decided that would be the last time I would ever do that uh, again. uh, (laughs) I've seen people climb those uh, cellular towers without harnesses. I mean, it's a scary, scary thing to just look at. (laughs) That makes no way. Now, we've been talking about these as wireless bridges. Is that actually true? Is that all that they are, layer two from a networking perspective? Is it a layer two bridge or are we up to layer three now in these sorts of uh, links? Right. So fundamentally, it is a layer two bridge. I mean, that, that's what they are. 
But once you start going into the point-to-multipoint deployment and you're putting radios in people's houses, there are things that we support. You know, on the subscriber side, there will be simple bridge mode or you can add it just like your home router today. Or you can even run uh, routing mode at the AP. But fundamentally, what we'd like to say that this is a simple wireless bridge agnostics to what you send across it. Uh, but there are some advanced networking features and things you can do to manage your network. Uh, whether it's VLANs for management and data VLANs and management VLANs, et cetera, et cetera. There's quite a bit in there that helps you manage the network from a networking perspective. Well, let's start talking about some use cases. I mean, I think we got a pretty good idea of what the product is that we're talking about here and how it works, uh, at least at a high level. So where all does this fit in? You know, wh- where are Cambium customers using uh, this solution? So use cases. I'd like to say that uh, there's pretty much no use case it cannot fit in. <laughs> of course you, you would. Can. Of course you <laughs> would. But let's narrow it down a little bit. I've not, not seen it all. So, so let me go back and, and revisit and, and emphasize that the primary use case we see a lot is obviously people doing business with our product, meaning they're providing internet to a home along with voice over IP for that matter, um, and charging money. And they are making money by being a traditional internet service provider. So that's probably the first and foremost. They need to go beyond that, and because of the affordability factor, the reliability, the unique feature set that makes it work better in interference and whatnot, we're starting to see a lot more use cases in what I call your basic connectivity needs. So, for example, uh, video cameras, a big one. Um, it doesn't have to be a massive commercial video surveillance network that a city runs but it can be warehouses that need extra security and the operator or the owner just doesn't want to run Cat5 across his entire property. They will use our radios, they'll use video surveillance cameras, and then feed it all back. Just to uh, give you an example there, guardhouses is the most common one, where you have right. a guardhouse, you know, and it's 200 metres away from the nearest building and some poor schmuck has to sit there all day lifting the boom up and down. That's and you probably want to put a computer in a swipe card point there. That's a classic one where, you know, trenching 500 metres across the concrete slab that was laid is really... Imagine really the cost associated with that, right? I know. Another one that I did was a, uh, a trash yard, a metal recycling yard. And let me assure you, this was really quite difficult to get right. They have a metal... Uh, they people bring in all their metal for recycling and at different spots around the yard they have these little huts where there's computers driving the machinery that grinds the metal up mm-hmm. and and from time to time the machines would actually move and the office was at the front it didn't move and that's where the computers were but getting to the computers that would move around the metal crushing yard was really quite difficult and uh, this is where I wish I had I had one of these instead of what I was using at the time because, of course, big piles of metal are really bad for the uh, Wi-Fi yeah, signal. Brutal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's pretty crude. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, Wi-Fi access point backhaul, outdoor specifically. Just recently, somebody uh, fed uh, Wi-Fi to, a, I believe, a, uh, I didn't even know if he was still singing, but Enrique Iglesias concert. <laughs> uh, somewhere in the <laughs> exact well no offense to anybody who's a fan of Enrique but uh, yeah. it was a concert and they were trying to it was an outdoor venue and they were providing Wi-Fi and they used the EPMP to backhaul the Wi-Fi products uh, so we're starting to see a lot more traction there and then as I said in the early part of the presentation or my talk is that people are starting to connect their tool shed and their boathouse to the main house or a camera down in the gate by their entrance 
to the main house. So there's a lot of applications that are pseudo residential, commercial, moving back and forth, and, and, and lots of use cases on that front. And last but not least, we also see our some big players using it, and, and this is where your operators, those cellular operators, will end up using some of these backhauls to provide internet to businesses. Um, so it's a very wide range. Alex, we haven't heard from you yet. Did you have something you wanted to add? So one use case I'd like to add to that is if you think about an enterprise perhaps spread across the campus or even two buildings on opposite sides of a street, for instance, if you need some extra bandwidth between those two points, it can be quite expensive to pay for another line from your ISP, for instance, to get you that bandwidth you need. Whereas with this product, you could set up a simple point-to-point link and very easily have 200 megabits per second of throughput between those two easily set up with your own IT staff. No ISP required. I think that's quite a compelling use case. You just said 200 megabits per second, which actually raises a good question. There's so many different throughputs that you can get in the wireless space. So for the distance and the applications you're talking about, what are some expected rates that I could get? Everything is about the distance, transmit power, line of sight conditions. It depends. So the average throughput you can expect, it's up to 100 megabits per second in 20 megahertz channel. I'm not sure if our listeners are familiar with the concept of 20 megahertz channel width, 40 megahertz channel. Yeah, most everyone's going to have the basics of that. Yeah, the, yep. you know how wide that channel is and how much you can cram through it. Sure. Yeah, so in 20 megahertz channel, you can expect up to 100 megs of throughput in point-to-point. And coming back to the use cases, I remember one of our customers using a bunch of point-to-point links to connect Starbucks cafes on Philippines using very expensive Wi-Fi hotspots connecting with EPMP as a backhaul. So the price of the hotspot itself was like 10 times more than the backhaul they are using. Now, in that configuration, where you're doing a backhaul of multiple access points, because Sakid mentioned that earlier as well, what does that look like? Are these all wired within a building uh, to a switch, or is this everybody's wireless and uh, associate back to the bridge and then get sent back to uh, the other side? It depends on the configuration. If you have multiple access points, Wi-Fi access points, then you probably need uh, some wired switch inside the building. If you have only one access point, you want to provide this backhaul connectivity. It's perfectly okay to use its own Ethernet connection and not to use any third-party equipment at all. You can even use our uh, so-called subscriber model. We have the auxiliary port, which actually has uh, power over Ethernet output, so you can power up the Wi-Fi hotspot. So one important point related to that is that the connection between the device you're backhauling, whether that's a video camera, Wi-Fi access point, etc., to the EPMP module is a wired connection. Okay, it is. Okay, that was... Yeah, that was my my question there, because I've seen some systems where the AP has got two radios, it might be talking to endpoints on 2.4 and backhaul on you know 5G, something like that, but but none of it's wired. So just following on from Dimitri's point, if you can, if 100 megabits per second is the expected maximum throughput in ideal conditions with a 20 megahertz channel, EPMP also supports 40 megahertz channel, which is where I got my 200 megabits per second expected mm. figure in ideal mm-hmm. conditions from. Now, for home use, that's often good enough because your internet connection is probably normally not 200 megabits per second. 
Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I, you know, sometimes you just want to keep that in mind that you might want to have gigabit, unless you're doing stuff between your house and your shed, some sort of distributed computing. 200 megs is a lot of bandwidth in real life. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Not for everybody. I mean, you've got to be aware of that. But just remember that sometimes you don't need 10 gigabit wireless. 100 megs is all you need to the guardhouse at the center, you know. Yeah, exactly. Even in an enterprise setting where you're doing video streams and so on, 200 megabits a second gets you uh, rather a long way. Oh, I can't have anything less than a gig. Sure you can. Start looking at your port utilization. You'll find your gigabit for most endpoints rarely gets touched in an enterprise scenario. And it's it's and it's a it's a bandwidth budget. You figure out how much you need and how much you can cram through that link and yeah, 200 megabits per second goes rather a long way. What's interesting, Ethan, is uh, the product also supports 10 megahertz and 5 megahertz channel bandwidths, which you probably won't see in standard Wi-Fi products. And while 10 and 5 will give you less bandwidth, because you're in this unlicensed spectrum, that means there's going to be noise. The wider the channel you're occupying, the susceptibility to noise is higher. So you will see operators and people use cases where say, hey, you know what, I'm better off picking a 10 megahertz channel and having less interference than shooting for that 40 meg high peak bandwidth. Yep, makes, yeah, I agree. It makes total sense. Uh, you know, another thought that popped in my head here, some of the what we're talking about, the, the nature of the data is sensitive. So what is Cambium's encryption strategy for the data going through the wireless links? So we are, and uh, I'm probably the one security expert uh, in terms of EPMP product line, and uh, we always welcome all the hacker community to hack our product and come back to us uh, if you wish. So Regarding the security concerns, we have the IS-128 uh, built-in uh, encryption. So all the data going over wireless is uh, encrypted. And uh, the keys are constantly changing over the time. So there is no way to pick up the key somehow and then decrypt the data. We have different types of authentication algorithms. So one of them is based on the passphrase, uh, similar to WPA2. And we have also radius uh, authentication, so you can use radius to authenticate your clients or your endpoints. If you have big a huge network, lots of radius installed, it can be very useful. Now, if I have lots of access points out there, am I managing this from some central point? Right. You can use um, any... If you already have some Wi-Fi infrastructure, you can use these radio servers as an authentication endpoint, as a management endpoint uh, for EPMP. Let's elaborate on that a little bit. Um, Alex, uh, uh, an overview of the uh, benefit of CN Maestro and how that fits into the management of multiple APs. Uh, why don't you give us a brief overview of that? So CN Maestro is Cambium's cloud management uh, system. I bet you thought we were going to go the whole show without saying cloud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it always creeps in these days. You can't get away from it. Yeah. So what this does is you add your access points and subscriber modules to the CN Maestro web-based management system. And then from anywhere you are, you have visibility of all of those units in five-minute time update increments. So you have the any errors that are occurring, um, any degradations of link performance, current Wi-Fi clients connected if you're using any of our Wi-Fi devices like the CN pilot line, 
and pretty much a whole network visibility from one pane of glass, as they say. There's another one if you're doing buzzword bingo, single pane of glass, cloud. <laughs> Trying yeah. to cover a few in each P A I N. You can also manage the network from that perspective. You can do mass configuration upgrades, configure specific units at once, or a whole class of devices. Like I want to configure all access points to use X configuration at once. So that gets important. So where, so for example, I've been talking to a number of people here in the UK and they have villages which are a little bit far away from the mainstream and they want to do a wireless ISP as a way of bypassing the DSL or the copper that's in the ground which is actually very slow and this ability to manage all of the wirelesses from a single point of view would actually be quite useful in that because I could imagine let's say you're covering a village of 500 houses you might end up with well you'd have 500 potential locations in each house and then you'd have another 20 or 30 central units that you'd have to update that would make that a lot quicker and a lot easier and certainly not overly complex to operate that from a, on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Right. And another another element of a large network, particularly a residential uh, internet access network like that, is our CN pilot line of Wi-Fi routers, like a normal residential A02.11N or A02.11AC Wi-Fi router um, that we offer also integrates with this system and integrates with EPMP. So from a management perspective, you could deploy an EPMP AP subscriber modules to multiple houses and then a Cambium CN pilot Wi-Fi router for the Wi-Fi client device internet access inside each house. And those are also accessible, visible, upgradable, manageable through CN Maestro as well as the EPMP units. There's also some nice physical interoperation between CN Pilot and EPMP in that if you just have a CN Pilot Wi-Fi router inside the home, all you need to connect to and power the EPMP SM on the house is a single Cat5e cable going from the WAN port of that Wi-Fi router up to the EPMP SM. That's it. Mm. So, Greg, uh, what Alex was elaborating on that is the... uh so because it's a Cambium portfolio, whether it's the Wi-Fi inside the house or the subscriber module on the roof, we can feed the power to the subscriber module from the Wi-Fi unit inside the house. It eliminates essentially a second PoE brick. That's what that does. But on, on top of what Alex talked about on CN Maestro, one of the things, and, and CN Maestro is a relatively new product that I find sort of compelling and exciting, is that I sit at CN Maestro, wherever I am, I can look at the home router on CN Maestro, but I can actually see like an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy connected to my home router and like signal strength and conditions of that client device. So not only am I seeing my WAN network, my EPMP network, I'm also seeing my home router network and then the clients below it. Uh, So it's pretty compelling to be able to see all of that from one single point. Now, speaking of your villages, Obviously, this is a great solution. They can all do that. It's just they'll have to buy all things Cambium. And that's meant as a joke, but serious. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way you get the power of CN Maestro, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 I'm just trying to think of these use cases. Like, I know the things that I've been asked is always point to point between two buildings to the guardhouse is another one that I've personally worked on. And then how do you light up a village, a, a relatively small number of people, 500, you know, 1,000 endpoints? How do you put a Wi-Fi out there and share a big fat pipe, you know, like a one gig pipe up, that sort of thing. 
Right. Which is why I wanted to raise those use cases because they're actually increasingly common. Absolutely. So on the point of connecting a small village, each EPMP access point can support up to 120 concurrent subscriber connections. So you would only need five best case to cover 500 houses. Depending on their physical locations yes. and link budgets and everything that you can get from that. Yeah, best case. I mean, that's, that's presuming a certain amount of average utilization, that kind of thing. That's not 120 that's people you know, screaming at once, so to speak. Yeah, you have to remember, wireless is always a shared medium. So therefore, oversubscription has to be taken into consideration. You're absolutely right, Ethan. Well, guys, let's dive in a little deeper. You know, Those of us that have stuck with uh, the podcast this far now want to know some of the nitty-gritty details of how Cambium does its magic and what you guys do that's really special and unique. Some of it we've touched on a little bit before. Maybe we can go into uh, some more detail. One of those things is packet scheduling. I think we, we touched on that, how you deal with that, and some of the unique things that you're doing there. Can you describe uh, your packet scheduler? So fundamentally, and in fact, it, it ties into what the statement I just made, that this is a wireless product, and your wireless medium is a shared medium. So one of the biggest challenges in a wireless system that is point to multipoint is how do you ensure that subscriber X or subscriber Y in the middle of a wide network, how do you ensure that they get the bandwidth they need when they need it? Uh, so solving the uplink scenario is always challenging. And then, of course, how do you schedule 120 subscribers in a meaningful way so that you balance things like latency, uh, you balance things like subscribers that are idle, when not to take up airtime, as we like to call it in our industry, how do you make that system efficient? So that's where the packet scheduling comes in and is a big, big play in this. And fundamentally, what we are doing is, as I mentioned earlier, Wi-Fi is a great system, right? Wi-Fi has, has come a long way. It's a, it's a phenomenal system. But Wi-Fi is fundamentally a contention-based algorithm. It's about, hey, is the air clear? I'm going to check for channel availability. If it's clear, I will send my packets. If it's not... I will back down, and I will try again. So what you've seen in the industry is systems that suffer from things like the hidden node problem, which is a particular subscriber can't hear anybody else around that subscriber, and therefore it will just continuously transmit and take over the medium, causing everybody else to suffer. Again, just to summarize this problem, if one person's on the air, no one else is on the air, That's effectively. Right. That's yeah. right. So what we have done is we have stripped out pretty much all things Wi-Fi out of the system except for the chip itself. So we're leveraging the price point of a Wi-Fi chipset, but we've ripped out all the so-called bad things that Wi-Fi can do for an outdoor system. Indoor, not so relevant. Outdoor very much as you're talking higher power, longer ranges, more obstructions and things like that. So in that arena, what we end up doing is we take the scheduling mechanism and we create a, as I mentioned earlier, a deterministic system as part of that, we have a one-to-many relationship. So imagine that our base station, our access point, and I'm going to use those terms interchangeably, is always in charge. It knows which packet is destined for which subscriber in the downlink. It knows who to ask for, uh, whether that subscriber has to send packets up or not. And it's choreographing this entire system in a very fixed frame duration. So we'll have a system where... At the beginning of the transmission cycle, the base station will sort of do a map. Literally, think of it like a Google map. But it's a map where we use something called a GPF, a group pole frame, 
where we are saying, hey, subscribers 1, 4, 8, 9, and 18, you're going to get some packets in the downlink. Oh, by the way, subscribers 32, 68, 59, do you have anything to send in the uplink? And this is how we are laying down the map of what's about to happen for the next five millisecond time frame. It reminds me of token ring in a weird sort of a way. You know, everybody gets a turned. Little bit. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. I'm stretching that metaphor a lot, but uh, the, there are some reminders there of what that world was all about. Right. And then from the wireless side of the house, where you see stuff like this happening is more on the WiMAX LTE, where the system is designed to work in outdoor from ground up. So you have to build scheduling systems that are very, very coordinated. So that's what we try to bring into this $200 radio. So we're coordinating things. We know who's sending stuff when. I'll give you another example. Systems similar to ours that are a derivative of Wi-Fi has what they call a very fundamental polling system where it's a one-to-one relationship. AP will ask a subscriber, do you have something to send? You do? Okay, go ahead and send it. Oh, wait, the subscriber just saw that the air is not clear, so it's going to wait a few microseconds before it sends the packet. And then it sends the packet. For some reason, there's uplink interference, and the AP says, whoa, 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 I got it, but I can't send anything because my air is not clear. So one-to-one, this is happening really fast. So you don't even see or witness the retransmission time it takes, the propagation delay you have to accommodate for, and it ends up being great performance even though there's high interference. But as you scale... And as you start adding subscribers, this one-to-one relationship between the base station and the client degrades very fast. Because if one-to-one is getting too busy going back and forth, then the next subscriber is waiting for their turn, and the one after that is waiting for their turn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the best way to think about an EPMP-based scheduling system is a one-to-many. We send what we send no matter what the conditions are. And we overcome interference by shifting up and down our modulation scheme. So we'll go to 64 QAM, then we'll come down to 16 QAM, QPSK, go back up. And we're also doing retransmissions. But all of this, all the talking and listening is happening in a coordinated fashion. And everybody's choreographed. Therefore, you don't fall apart as you add more subscribers. Therefore, you don't fall apart when there's interference and noise. I know that was probably a lot more than you asked for, Ethan, but... Oh, no. <laughs> this is this is the part of the show we're in. We want more. So, yeah, yeah that was I perfect. This, stuff. this is like... This is like th- th- there's so much to wireless that you can do to make it work better. Like, the, the, the stuff that the IEEE put together is kind of like the least that you could they could agree to. It's not right. the best wireless we could have. It's the worst wireless we could just have because people had all the different competing interests. So, we ended up with the tragedy of the commons, and we right. get the worst of everything. But it works, right? And it's interoperable. And so these types of things can really enhance the functionality in the field, but you've got to go into them with your eyes open. You've got to be willing to trade off the features and the functionality that you get against the fact that you're locking into, you know, Cambium networks. And that's a valid trade off for everything that we do today. That's not new anymore. Right, exactly. Sakid, in that uh, choreography that you were describing, where are you able to handle any special QoS parameters? Like if I'm trying to run a you know a voice phone. Uh, can I get into that choreography and have my conversation prioritized? Absolutely, absolutely. So within the system itself, we have priority queues. Um, So voice is actually one of our high-priority queues. Imagine the packet coming in through the Ethernet is about to go out over the air. I am able to do a packet inspection, whether it's a VLAN tag or some type of Layer 3 classification rule, and I'm able to put the packet at the front of my wireless queue so that... Before the data packet goes out, the voice packet will get a 
faster opportunities to get transmitted over the air, which is great because it solves your downlink problem. The challenge always becomes in the uplink because let's say a subscriber is completely idle and it's not really doing much. And the base station, Mr. Choreographer there, knows that, all right, I don't need to poll or ask this subscriber for anything. But suddenly the subscriber has a home phone, somebody picks up and wants to talk. The immediate need for the subscriber is uplink bandwidth allocation so that hello or the ringtone or the phone DTMF tones or whatever it is can make it up. Uh, so that's where we get into some smart algorithms and polling mechanisms where, you know, if the subscriber has voice packets, it will wake up and ask for bandwidth and we'll try to give it bandwidth. Um, something else we do is sort of called a piggybacking mechanism where if a subscriber is sending voice packets, instead of waiting for another turn to request bandwidth, it will send it the bit flipped to say, hey, I've got more voice packets coming your way. So we do some clever things to make the over-the-air performance be better for VoIP. But aside from that, the basic L2, L3 classification rules where you can mark a packet or a source IP or a destination MAC, you can do all of that through our system, and we honor those as the packets traverse through the system. Uh, okay, so if I'm an enterprise, I've got my own uh, DSCP marking scheme, I can set up my Cambium system to honor that, high, that scheme. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You're going all the way end-to-end. Okay, another feature I want you guys to expand on. Uh, it's come up a few times in the podcast. That, that's the term noise cancellation, which sounds sort of magical. I mean, if there's noise, there's noise. So how do you cancel it? What does that really mean? You know, you hear about noise cancellation on, you know, like the headset I'm wearing right now, they advertise having noise cancellation. We have a product that will be coming out in about three, three and a half months uh, in the base station range called the EPMP2000. And noise is something we live with. And noise is a generic term, but we're talking essentially interference. So what can we do to continuously make a product better in the presence of interference? It's something we live and breathe every day. So you'll hear a lot of things about, you know, 802.11ac, bigger channel bandwidths, therefore more throughput, higher modulations such as 256QAM. All of those are great, but they all require more from us, meaning Give me higher signal-to-noise ratio so I can get to 256 qualm. Give me 80 megahertz of clean channel so I can get that high peak throughput. What we are focusing on is how do I give you more out of that 20 megahertz or 10 megahertz you have? So this EPMP2000 product will bring to the table some interesting technology, i.e. uplink beamforming. So in this case, instead of having a 90-degree sector that is picking up all sorts of noise because there's other products on the tower with you, we're going to do beamforming in the uplink so we that narrow down our, let's just say, area of listening down to like seven or eight degrees just towards this one subscriber. So you end up optimizing your signal-to-noise ratio. Beamforming as in a, a very narrow direction in which you're sending that. The signal. That's not, correct. So not we'll broadcast. A, it's not omnidirectional. It's, you know, again, you, yes. you said eight degrees or so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So imagine if you are up on a tower looking down in a valley and there's uh, 10 homes you're serving, 
but within the 10 homes, there's dispersed uh, your competitor's gear, which is in almost the same channel you're operating because there's nothing else out there. With this being for me, I can actually isolate who I listen to, and I will listen to my subscriber and improve the signal-to-noise ratio because I'm not a 90-degree sector, big, giant year listening to everything. Does that make sense, Ethan? Yeah, I, I get it. I get yep. it. Yeah, Beamforming is yep. not new as such. It's been coming into wireless standards for a while, so it's Absolutely. certainly magical, but it's not. Um, it's a proven idea. Absolutely, yep. it is. What you don't see is a lot of application in the outdoor world right now. There's a few people playing with it. You see, obviously, in a lot of the indoor routers, beamforming, but applying it in an outdoor environment is, is definitely a more of a challenge. So that is sort of our noise handling, let's call it noise handling feature. But in addition, this newer product will also have something what we call uh, some advanced filtering, which will allow it to block out interference from neighboring channels, adjacent channels. So if you can imagine a tower with a, you know, 10, 15 different products, and you've seen these congested towers in city environments and whatnot, you put our radio up there, it basically can't hear anything outside of, let's say, plus minus 60 megahertz because it's filtering everything out. While a lot of the other products in this space, they will be interfered with. And because the transmission from the other radios may not be as clean, they are a very wide skirt, they're expanding across the entire channel, and they're causing interference with each other. So those are the two things that build up towards a noise mitigation platform for us. So, Saki, we were talking about noise cancellation with some of what's coming in uh, in the future products. But, I mean, you guys do noise cancellation in the, in the current set, like the, the P2P product that we've been talking about for most of the show and so on. Isn't that right? That's correct. That's correct. And, and, and Ethan, that's actually a very uh, strong anchor point for our current product is that we do perform well in the presence of interference, i.e. noise. So... There's a term called e-fortify, which we use to describe some of this technology behind it. So to elaborate on that a little bit, e-fortify covers a few different things. In our system, obviously, as I mentioned before, there's a task of a wireless system to adapt to the environment. So as there's interference, as there's packets that are not quite getting there because they're getting corrupted or the receiver can't decode them because of noise, you have to retransmit. How well you use your data from these failed attempts, how well you use the data with your successful attempts to build your retransmit mechanism is a big differentiator for us, and it's addressed by this eFortify. So it's what we call our automatic rate adapt or adaptive modulation scheme. Imagine this is like driving a car and having a gearbox and shifting to first gear, second gear, third gear. How well we're able to do that, how fast we can respond to the changing conditions without dropping actual user traffic or making the user experience poor is where we excel in with this e-fortify technology. The same stuff applies to our point-to-point -point solution. So we talked a lot about simple Ethernet bridges. There also, we've added algorithms and implementation that helps us to perform better than other products in this price range or in this industry for simple point-to-point -point links. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about Spectrum here, and it seems like uh, Cambium's in the, that unlicensed 2.4 and 5 gigahertz spectrums, which is crowded, and there's all sorts of things that can that can interfere here. So it sounds like eFortifies part of the you know, what makes it usable. That's correct. That's correct. It's a, it's a great way to summarize the essence or the value that we're talking about. Here you have 2.4 5 gigahertz unlicensed spectrum that you, me, anybody can power up. We do it at home. We can do it outside. You can buy product. Yet, 
the nature of this freedom of the spectrum is also its uh, challenge. That the more people that light up equipment, the more your Comcast hotspots are transmitting outside, the more Starbucks is lighting up, the more crowded the spectrum is becoming. So how do you excel in that spectrum? That's where we come in because we do have years of experience in dealing with outdoor wireless. So we study the interference, we study the noise, and we create products in, for now, the 2.45 gigahertz bands that you can use successfully. And it's not going to break the bank to use it in the spectrum. And you're going to get superior performance than anything else out there. Um, And that is the essence of the Cambium offering in this case. Well, that seems like a really good place for us to wrap up our show today. And uh, Sakid, uh, thanks for joining us, and Alex and Dimitri. And is there a, if someone wants to find out more about Cambium, where should they go? Right. Great question. And all three of us will take turns in telling you all about that. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, uh, Cambium Networks, www.cambiumnetworks.com. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on the show today and sponsoring. And, uh, and, and let's go around the table one more time, and let's see if you guys are social or not. Uh, Sakid, uh, starting with you, is there somewhere that folks can follow you, uh, Twitter or, or Facebook perhaps, or do you blog anywhere? Uh, no, uh, not blogging yet, but uh, Twitter, you can follow me at uh, Sakid Ahmed. Um, I do get on Twitter and talk about stuff every now and then. Uh, one of the best places where you are able to see some social gathering is Cambium Networks on Facebook. Uh, we put up a lot of stories. We will post things ourselves as we see and talk about technology. And probably one of the most powerful places to visit is community.cambiumnetworks.com. This is an online forum space that is daily monitored and we engage in it. This is where people come and talk about success stories or a very basic question about how the heck do I do X, Y, Z? Or if there's a real problem, they come and talk about it and we address it. And so do thousands of other users of this product. Great. It sounds good. Uh, Dimitri, how about you? You can definitely follow me on Twitter, but it's mostly in Russian. So most of (laughs) our listeners are not interested in it. Yeah, but you can find me on our community forum. I'm actively answering our customers' questions and trying to help our customers. So, yeah, feel free. And uh, we are usually usually doing different, uh, different webinars. So please feel free to join our webinars. You can find information about webinars on our website. And we are doing so-called EPMP days worldwide, uh, going to different locations worldwide, presenting EPMP. So feel free to uh, join our EPMP days. Sounds good. And uh, Alex? So no Twitter on my end, but I'm an engineer, so I'm allowed to be a little bit antisocial. The best place to find me is on the community or community.cambiumnetworks.com and blogging on cambiumnetworks.com. Great. Thanks a lot for joining us today on this sponsored Priority Q show. Greg, any parting thoughts? A couple of things. I've just been poking at this forum. It's actually incredibly active, which um, is very useful. And there's quite a bit of information there. So if you do get yourself some of this gear, it looks like you can get a lot of information to get what you want. And B... Don't make the mistake of thinking that your point-to-point wireless networks have to be integrated with your wireless network. So a lot of people think, oh, well, if I'm using this for my desktops to connect to my corporate LAN, that this wireless has to be fully integrated with my point-to-point connections. It doesn't. You can certainly have a point-to-point network or a point-to-multipoint backhaul, which is completely separate from what you use to connect laptops to it. You probably do want 
you'll recognize brand names for your desktops, but you want this for your backhaul, I think, because the price and the, the fixed format targeting of that outdoor stuff is really makes that outdoor wireless, that point-to-point stuff work a lot better. And as soon as these guys approached us and started talking about their product, I'm really quite interested in this, and I'm actually going to be looking for a use case out there where I can uh, find a customer that can use it. That'll be really interesting to look at. Thank you, Greg, and thanks to all of you for listening to Packet Pushers Priority Q today. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers, find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. Hi, everybody. This is Drew from Packet Pushers. As a thank you to everyone who's listening, Cambium Networks has a special offer. The first 25 people to register at cambiumnetworks.com slash packetpushers will get a pair of EPMP radios while supplies last. The EPMP radios are the same ones they talked about on the show, so head on over to cambiumnetworks.com slash packetpushers and check them out. You can also find that link in the show notes that accompany this podcast on packetpushers.net. Thanks for listening.